are entering a new age, an age demanding greater collaboration, enhanced creativity, heightened agility. Welcome to Agile and Beyond, a podcast for agile enthusiasts, design thinkers, team builders, and organization designers. With practitioners and thinkers, we explore the future of work, the evolutions in leadership mindset, and the revolutions in the human-centered innovation around experience and purpose. In episode two of a four-part conversation with Erica Lenz, scrum master and former poet, evolutionary biologist, and tutor, we, the dis- we discuss the difficulty in collaborating naturally, our similarity to crazy monkeys, being a scrum master in traditional environments, the great challenge in rewiring the brain at the enterprise level, the battle of the operational patterns, artful redirection, the balance of people and process, the benefits of collective collaborative thinking, the tendency to keep the people stuff behind the curtain, helping the team to surface their own problems, and a discussion on managing the work versus managing the people. Now, what, what, it's interesting. You say it takes time and it takes effort. There's a part of me that wonders, sort of baffling to me personally, is that if the Agile Manifesto sort of embeds the key elements of intrinsic motivation, what, what motivates us to do things and to work either individually or collectively to accomplish things without outside carrots and sticks hmm. what 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 may be causing a res- resistance to that natural tendency or what what is the, what is what is a drag on what requ- why do you require effort why is there effort required in order to uh, to do something which seems like it should occur naturally like in the, in an ant colony yeah <laughs> okay there's a lot in that I need to unpack it a little bit um, so the way I think about this is that the manifesto and the principles were written by a group of people who had tried a lot of different things and had kind of evolved over time into working in that way and you know I wasn't in the room and um, I have a very kind of superficial understanding of the history around it frankly but what it looks like to me is like a lot of really skilled and mature developers got together and they said there's a better way to do this let's describe what we've been doing So even though it's simple and straightforward, there was a lot of knowledge and experience embedded in the manifesto and the principles. I think that's evident when you read it. Um, 
So to take this artifact of that, this formula that they wrote up, and then transport it to another team that may not have that knowledge and experience means that you know, while the, the rules of the game are pretty straightforward, let's say you're taking a team and starting with Scrum or Kanban or some simple framework, even though the rules are clear, you have all this behavior um, that people do. People are just, <laughs> um, I hesitate to say this out loud in a podcast, but I'm going to, we're, we're kind of crazy monkeys, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And we have... We have all of these things that we do that we learned in our childhood that are about how we were parented. Um, We have all this baggage we bring to the table about um, how we were taught certain concepts or places that we've worked before. We have all of these defense mechanisms um, that we bring into the room um, and all of these different personality styles that we bring into the room. So you may be able to set up this simple framework and um, even get people aligned around that framework and get them to buy into that. That's a challenge in and of itself. But um, even then, all that behavior is going to come up. And so as a scrum master, you need to be prepared to deal with that and to... I mean, with some teams, it's just a matter of reminding them and saying, hey, (laughs) we made a commitment to this goal for this iteration. Um, How are we doing? And sometimes they'll just talk about it freely and they'll say, oh, it looks like maybe we're not going to make it. So what do we need to do about that? And they'll have the conversation that needs to be had. And, um, and And they're serving business interests simply by having that conversation Um, but sometimes you get teams that have had years of experience of being punished for not making their sprint commitments which is an anti-pattern it's it's not the way you want to run a scrum team but that's what they've lived through so you need to respect that that's their experience and you need to earn their trust that that's not going to happen um, I think there was I have been very pleased to see that the Scrum Guide has changed its language around commitments and now talks about forecasts because I think that will help Scrum Masters everywhere um, help shift that perception in the team that the commitment is a deadline Yeah, I, this is quite interesting I, I recently was uh, presented with a um a job description for a scrum master. And in the first line, I think there were maybe eight bullet points, five or eight bullet points. The last bullet points all sounded like classic scrum master. But the first bullet point looked like it was was written for a project manager. It was like making sure people are meeting deadlines and Mm. meeting commitments and so on and so forth. And I I was trying to think how that fit in with a classic agile scrum environment and it didn't it didn't sound very scrum like to me well it it's not and it's very common um, because a lot of companies are trying to run scrum on individual teams within a larger 
more traditional waterfall planning kind of context. And so that's the other challenge that I think every scrum master has run into in some shape or form is that if you have if you're part of an organization that has not truly bought into agile and buying into agile at the organizational level is a huge undertaking it involves rewiring the brain at an enterprise level so um i think it's a big ask to ask a company to do that um and so if you're running a scrum team within that context, um, there's all this misalignment. You're not even speaking the same language at some level. And so the second you insert the idea of a deadline um, into a scrum team, you, you are now having to deal with something that is not part of the pattern. And it's possible to do, but you have to keep it transparent about what you're doing. And say what is and what isn't scrum make it clear to in your own mind as a scrum master but also clear to the team and the and the groups that are interfacing with the team is that I think so um, and this is not an easy feat <clears throat> right if you have you have a, a VP of product who has to make certain deadlines I mean that is the dictate that she's dealing with um, if you say to her well, this team has this velocity, and um, and at this point, if we use lighthouse forecasting or some method of of looking ahead and saying, well, the team this is the lowest velocity that this team has had in the past year. This is the highest. So, if they if they maintain their highest velocity over the next X number of sprints. The work will be done at this date, and if they maintain their lowest velocity, it will be done at this date. So you give them a window. You say it'll be done between, in, within this four-week window. Um, that's speaking a very different language than the one that she is speaking. So uh, there are lots of conversations that need to happen around that. And um, if you're wanting to support her, then the thing you might do is work ahead and say, okay, let's let's schedule this out based on the lowest velocity. But then, then you run into problems around not really being agile because you are working way ahead and you're not releasing value. You're not releasing software and therefore value to the customer as soon as you can. So that's an anti-pattern. And, um, and it puts her in a position of not being able to um, work in a way that looks as efficient as it should be to people who are working from a different paradigm. So, But this is the reality that a lot of Scrum Masters work in today, is that they're needing to balance, um, they're needing to have their, their feet in two different worlds and to figure out how to uh, create productive conversations. And at the same time, they need to protect their team and let their team work in the way that's most productive for them. So it's it's a complicated interpersonal activity. You know, it's interesting how you refer... I, I like how you're using this the word pa- patterns and anti-patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, 
I'm not sure where you got that from, and I'll ask you about that next, but um, would you say that, in, so there's the traditional plan-driven approach, which these organizations have been operating with, which has a certain pattern, mm-hmm. and then Agile has its patterns, mm-hmm. and so there's a sort of a battle of patterns, right? The battle of the patterns. Each yeah, is the I anti-pattern like of the other. It's almost like yeah. I, you will be infected. Who's going to be the Borg? <laughs> you will be assimilated right. of some sort. Right. And I, I've seen different kinds of Scrum Masters be successful <clears throat> approaching the solution from very different angles. Um, I have a friend who is a Scrum purist all the way, um, but he trusts it so deeply that he just doesn't fight with anybody about it. He just brings it to the team. He shows it to them. He um, lets them have whatever reactions they're going to have and then just very delicately and artfully and diplomatically redirects them back to the very simple framework that is Scrum. And I, I think that's a very artful way to handle it. Um, it's not something I can do um, because I'm thinking all the time about the people. I'm thinking about the system of people. And so I, that's my focus is looking at how can I have a conversation with somebody or encourage them to have a conversation with another person um, in a way that will undo this particular tangle. Um, I can keep redirecting people back to Scrum, but I fundamentally... Um, believe that that coaching around that is important for helping resolve some of the stickier issues. I mean, maybe that's a function of me having worked as a scrum master only for a couple of years, and maybe I will learn that simpler is better. <laughs> I'm open to that possibility. But Well, that's interesting. I mean, you bring up the simplicity factor, but there's also, it sounds like your friend, the the, the the scrum jujitsu master yes, it sounds a right. little bit like <laughs> that's a great he, way to describe it he's focusing more on the sort of a faith or a belief in the process he doesn't have to and we started our discussion he doesn't have to um, defend scrum mm-hmm. because he believes implicitly or through years of experience that Scrum is simpler. It's a better way to deliver software. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it's gaining traction over the traditional method is that it just delivers business value earlier to the client and makes them happier. So mm-hmm. you can almost just sit back and say, okay, you want to do that? Okay. And how long is that going to take you to do that? Mm-hmm. And how much time is that going to take? And the, the method that I'm presenting here, this other method... How long, what, what are the issues with that? How is that going to perform? Mm-hmm. And lets them, lets them disprove him. The, the burden of proof is on them. But, the, but he's focused on the process, I guess is what I'm getting at. And you're focused on the people. Is that, would that be an accurate assessment? Well, it's an oversimplification. I think, I think what makes him so effective is that... Um, that particular approach fits his temperament particularly well. He and I love to get together and and talk about problems that are happening on teams because we come at those problems from such radically different directions. And I think, so we're we're tapping into the 
power of collective, collaborative thinking. Collective intelligence. Yeah, because he he doesn't see the people stuff, um, not as clearly as I do, or not as with as much rich complexity as I do. <laughs> um, that, but my seeing the people stuff um, first means that sometimes I forget that the right solution for a team might be just making it extremely simple and um, and just going back to the basics. So I think that both ways of looking at it are useful. I know that I provide value to my teams because I can see what's going on for them interpersonally. Um, but I, I don't think I would be as effective as a scrum master if I didn't have the support of other scrum masters who approach it from different angles. I feel like the longer I do this and the more that I'm active in the community and have conversations with people about specific problems on teams, um, the, the broader my toolkit becomes and the more attuned my spidey sense <laughs> becomes to um, what kind of approach might work in a given situation. No, it's, that's, that's really interesting. For, I was actually thinking about when I was back in university when I was studying signal processing, one of the ways that we would sometimes solve a problem, sometimes it was easiest, the math was easier if you analyze the problem in the time domain, and other times you would you would uh, use the Fourier transform and you'd convert to the frequency domain and mm-hmm. it was it was completely obvious there so it's a, mm-hmm. it's, it sounds a little bit like oh I'm being, I don't understand this from a people perspective I don't understand it and then you switch over to the process and it's like okay we just focus on the process and we can get forward this way and then mm-hmm. maybe you have to sometimes switch that only gets you so far because there's some serious people issues that you've you're not that you need to address first perhaps or you know, yeah, I like that. I may steal that. Thank you. <laughs> um, but as you're talking, I'm realizing that um, in my own head, in my own mind, as I'm churning away on solving some problem, I am always focused on the people stuff. But when I coach other people, when I coach other scrum masters or or dev leads or individual people on a team, I always go back to the basics. So you've just helped me realize that I have this dichotomy kind of built in. I think that's because the the people stuff makes a lot of people really uncomfortable. And sometimes I think it makes people uncomfortable if they realize that I'm seeing as much as I'm seeing in their behavior. So I've learned, I'm talking about it here pretty openly, but I wouldn't talk about it on a team. I would talk about it maybe behind closed doors with an agile group at my company. You know, Scrum Masters talk amongst themselves about stuff. Sorry, we we do have private conversations. (laughs) It's probably an anti-pattern, but um, sometimes you just need to sort out what's going on. Um, Well, you could think of it as a community of practice, I guess. I guess, but but you're talking about particular uh, 
dynamics um, of particular yeah. you know, like, situations like that. Yeah, like that person is the dysfunctional piece of glue that holds the whole thing together, you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a paradox That's there. kind of, right. <laughs> um, but but I, I appreciate being able to talk about the basics. I, the, the more I do this, the more, and the more I learn the why behind some of these structures and frameworks, um, the more I'm understanding the wisdom of just going back and talking about the basics. Um, I could I could write a whole essay on why why Scrum is structured the way that it is. Um, can, but, can I have that in my inbox? Yeah. On Monday? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, I'll change my mind in a month about it. So, um, yeah, it would have to be an ongoing thing. Um, but sometimes what a team needs to hear is um, that the retrospective is part of the inspect and adapt cycle, and we're, we're going to do it because it will help you. <laughs> And um, and no, it's it's not optional. It's an integral part of the framework. End of conversation. And then you go in and facilitate whatever the team needs facilitated for that sprint. So for me, a lot of the the people stuff is behind the curtain, so to speak. So I go in and and I will create a a retrospective exercise that, or I'll pick one that's already. Um, tried and true that I think will help a team surface this thing that I've noticed going on um, and then let them deal with it. Um, so my my goal will be to use the the people observation skills just to help them surface it and then to get it into their hands as fast as possible and let them solve their problems. No, it's, I mean, it's, I think to to someone who was trained as as an engineer who at least on the surface appears to be a technical person uh the empirical process control the mm-hmm. the, the transparency the inspection and the adaption is completely intuitive i mean basically you're saying we're applying scientific principles to the development of software mm-hmm. and so i would find that that's a very powerful argument, I think, to make to a, to an engineer or scientist. I mean, that is really difficult to argue against. But have you tried using that phrase with a real team? Empirical process control? Oh, do they, they think that you're the scientist? Uh, I don't know. I haven't... I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an, odd, uh, an odd duck, but that it seems very uh, so obvious I, to me. I love that phrase. And I learned very quickly not to use it with teams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is well, this is I good am. to know. Um. <laughs> uh, because it, it sounds so cold. And so I, I say the same thing, but in different language. I'll say, you know, we're using real data to look at how the team is performing. And we look at data that happened and we say that that is maybe the best predictor of the future but we don't know that so we're we're just using the real data that we have to do the best we can to control the process moving forward 
And so I find that I need to soften it a lot and make sure that it doesn't sound like a trap. Um, the teams I've worked with have been particularly sensitive to getting locked in to something. And I think I'm not sure exactly why that is, but I suspect that in some cases, at least, it's it's about Agile being misapplied and perhaps um, these teams working in a context where um, the organizational level planning was not coming from an Agile mindset and there were deadlines. And if they were going to miss a deadline, they were expected to work late. And if they missed their commitment, they were frowned upon. Um, That's more about managing. This comes down to managing the traditional approach is more about managing the people, and I believe this new approach, the, 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 the scrum approach or the Kanban approach, is, it's, it's more about managing the work and not the people. So if you, if you take the lens of empirical process control and you say, okay, team, I'm not talking about um, fine-tuning you. I'm not applying this to you. I'm applying this to the execution of the work. Is is would that be something that would be easier it, to accept or no? It's interesting to me that you think about it that way. Um, so it in, could be wrong in the manifesto. <laughs> I mean, one of the the four phrases is you know we value people. Um, I'm going to get this wrong. How embarrassing. Um, people and... Um, interactions or something? Interactions, thank you. People and interactions over processes and tools. doesn't mean the processes and tools aren't important, right? Um, but... People are paramount. And so you're not just managing the work. You are managing the work in such a way that it empowers people to do the work. Agreed. Yeah. So I can't separate the two. Um, And I think that a lot of these new management paradigms um, also focus on understanding that that managing people um, only works if what you're doing is managing to empower. This completes episode two of a four-part conversation with Erica Lenz. In the next episode, we cover management on self-organized teams, accountability, good leadership, team empowerment, and lining to the consumer, observation, goals, vision, dual-track scrum, the magic of bringing the customer into the room. Agile and Beyond. Visit agileandbeyond.co and subscribe on iTunes. Until next time, keep evolving.